Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Canada has long been considered our more tolerant and progressive neighbor to the north. And while that's not entirely true, it's nevertheless in a narrative that has persisted throughout the years. But all of that began to unravel a bit last week when Time magazine published a photo of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in brownface at an Arabian Nights theme party in 2001. Since then, there have been other pictures unearthed of Trudeau in blackface. Here to talk about Canada's surprising history of blackface and racism and where Justin Trudeau fits into that picture is David A. Graham. He is a staff writer at The Atlantic. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, let's start with Canada's history of blackface and minstrelsy. It's something that we don't think that much about here in the United States. Yeah, I think we think of blackface as being a sort of peculiarly American institution, kind of in the way we think about slavery. Slavery, minstrelsy, blackface, it's all part of this sort of American complex. Um, but if you dig into the Canadian history, there's a, quite a lot of history. I mean, blackface shows were very popular in Canada at the same time they were in the U.S. and even up into the 1970s. Uh, and the composer of O Canada performed in blackface, blackface shows in both the United States and Canada in the middle of the 19th century. Hmm. Um, so does Canada try to maybe hide some of this history in a way that uh, that helps us not really understand it? Is this something that they talk about the way we talk about race and history here in the United States? Well, I think it depends who you ask. Uh, you know, I, I wrote this article about going through this, and I, I got interesting response. What I heard from um, um, some white Canadians who liked the story was that they, you know, often these things are misunderstood, and they were glad to see them surfaced. What I heard from some Canadians who are minorities were, we talk about this all the time. It's that other people aren't paying attention, but we mm -hmm. talk about it. Um, I do think, as you said, the sort of narrative that the U.S. has serious racial problems, which of course is true, allows Canada to sort of position itself as a more tolerant neighbor and to maybe sweep these things under the rug a little bit. Hmm. Uh, you also talk uh, about the a uh, uh, figure who kind of illustrates the connections between race, Canada, and the United States, uh, Calixa Lavallee. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. So, uh, and I was unfamiliar with Lavallee, um, but it's a, a really interesting story. So he was from Quebec, born to a French-Canadian family that went back a couple centuries. Um, in the 1850s, he moved to the U.S. He was a musician, and he worked in minstrel shows in the U.S. Uh, probably before the Civil War. Then he enlisted in the Union Army, um, where he was an officer. He was injured. After the war, he returned to performing in, in minstrel shows, performing in blackface. Hmm. And um, he toured both the U.S. and Canada in these um, in these shows. And then later in 1880, uh, he was commissioned to write the hymn that we now know as O Canada, the uh, Canada's national anthem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, when, when we think of Justin Trudeau then in the context of this history, um, sort of explain why, uh, why people are so upset about what, what he did, but also uh, his young age. He's 47. Um, and so as a young leader, I figure a lot of people think he, he should have known better even, uh, even if this was, was going on around him. Uh, talk about Justin Trudeau and this particular issue. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And it's fascinating to, to think of somebody this young. Obviously, we in the U.S. are not um, new to blackface scandals. Um, but when we've seen these things, I think they've tended to fall in a couple categories. One, there are old examples. So just over the last year, of course, we had the governor of Virginia um, had this blackface picture in his medical school yearbook. Um, the attorney general of Virginia said he had gone to a, a party in the early 80s in blackface. And the governor of Alabama also confessed to having used blackface, um, I believe, in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, but these are, of course, much older situations. These Trudeau photos are from the late 90s and the early 2000s. And even in the case of Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, people thought this is awfully late for somebody performing in blackface and to sort of beg uh, ignorance of, of how this is offensive. Um, Trudeau was only 47, and, and so it's unusual. The other thing we see is college students doing this, but Trudeau was out of college and, and you know, working as a private school teacher when some of these photos were taken. And, and these photos, and, and some of them were talking about brownface and, and others blackface. The, the, the term brownface is not something I'd heard uh, before. Uh, is, that a different, uh, is that a different characterization? Is that something peculiar to, uh, to Canada uh, and its history here that, that maybe we don't understand? I don't think it totally is. You know, what you see sometimes in these cases where people wear blackface or, or similar things is they're dressing up as characters in movies or in, or, or you know, famous people. It's not a direct sort of minstrel-style Sambo um, racism, but it still is often very, people find it very offensive. And so in one of these photos, Trudeau is dressed up, uh, he appears to be trying to dress up as Aladdin in the Disney movie. So, you know, in some ways this is disconnected from the sort of minstrel tradition. Hmm. But the idea of dressing up this way in these sort of crude caricatures has many of the same offensive characteristics, and it springs from the same historical tradition. Yeah. Uh, my guest is David A. Graham, a staff writer at The Atlantic. He's written a piece about Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, and the trouble he is now in as photos have surfaced of him in brownface and blackface. We're talking about the trouble uh, that Trudeau faces, but also talking about the history of these kinds of mockeries, racial mockeries in Canada, uh, a country that we think of here in the United States as maybe a little more progressive than we are. Uh, we're talking about whether <clears throat> that's true and whether this uh, history of brownface and blackface and uh, racial strife uh, somehow unearths a different Canada than we are used to thinking about. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what do you think of Justin Trudeau's photos and the admission that he doesn't even know how many times he has worn brownface or blackface in the past. Does this change your perception of Canada and the political climate there? Uh, are you offended by this? And do Trudeau's progressive politics somehow make him a more forgivable figure, or does it suggest that this is even less forgivable, that he is somebody who should have known better? Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or we could. Uh, you can go to Twitter, Twitter and uh, hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, before we get to, to calls and comments, uh, David, I want to ask you about uh, Trudeau's progressive reputation uh, and what this does for it. Uh, is the reaction in Canada more uh, forgiving because he is a progressive, or is it more damning because he's somebody who they would have expected would know better than this? 
I think that splits a lot along partisan lines. So Trudeau's supporters are, are tend to say, well, look, he may have made these mistakes as a young man, um, but you, if you look at his political record, he's done these things. I think if you look at his critics, what they say is, this shows what a hypocrite Trudeau is. He's doing these sort of performative displays of being uh, racially progressive, but in fact, um, you know, look at his record not that long ago. And, I, you know, speaking from the outside, I, I think that there is, the truth is probably somebody somewhere in between. On the one hand, people do change, and they understand things better, and they sort of gain a sense of enlightenment. On the other hand, it's remarkable that as, you know, as late as, as 2000 or so, um, Trudeau might have done such a thing and, and not realized that it was offensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's also an election uh, going on in in Canada. What what is the the political outlook for him look like? Uh, it was not great before this. I can't imagine this has improved <laughs> his his chances. No, this does seem to be scrambling the campaign. I mean, it's it's the sort of um, relatively late oppo dump that every campaign fears. Um, it creates a distraction. It pushes you off message. It, 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 I think it's a serious problem for him. Just how serious? I think we don't yet have a great sense. But I guess you know the, we, we will find out uh, when the elections take place in about a month. Mm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Terry in Detroit. Terry, welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen. Hello, David. Hey, I just wanted to say my mom's Canadian. I grew up spending lots of time over in Windsor at my granddad's house mowing the lawn and what have you. <laughs> and the very first place I was ever called a nigger was over in Windsor by a little mm. white kid when my brother and I were out playing behind my grandfather's house. Mm. Uh, so, Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead and, and I was going to say, you know, the thing that I'm interested in, and I'm wondering if David can comment, is there equivalent white face? in the history of performance art? Because, I, I, I mean, other than using in France where, you know, the the guys do the silent act with the uh, white face and the red lipstick, mm-hmm. is there the equivalent of, of a white face performance history in the United States or Canada? Hmm. Uh, I, I, that's a great question, Terry, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to let David answer it. But before we get to that, I, I want to know a little more about this experience you had uh, in in Windsor, tell me tell me uh, what your reaction was to that. It, it was a word that you say you hadn't heard before or, or hadn't been called before. Uh, what impression did that make on you about Canada versus the United States? Are you still there, Terry? Just you know, we were out by my grandfather's house, and this kid was coming from the little dime store by his house with a bag full of candy. And when he called us this name, we knew it was wrong, and he knew it was wrong. And, um, you know, we said, you can't talk to us like that. And we went after him because, after all, we're Detroiters. We went after him. We chased him <laughs> down through the park. And in the process, he threw his bag of candy down, trying to speed away from us on his bicycle. So we picked up the bag of candy, went back to my granddad's house, and told him what happened and ate the candy. Um, <laughs> and, they, of course, this guy comes back with his father and the police accusing us of stealing his candy. Um, and so we told them what happened and they went away. But yeah, I, I just, I never experienced anything like that in Detroit. Mm. Uh, I, I'm really glad you called and uh, shared that experience. Uh, David Graham, uh, she was asking also about this idea of whiteface uh, and whether there's a similar history uh, here or in other countries um, around that. Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating anecdote, and I, I think that gets to the sort of question. As to whiteface, I don't think there is anything equivalent. You know, m- minstrelsy grows up 
um, in the U.S. and the sort of mostly in the U.S. and then, of course, also in Canada in the middle of the 19th century as a kind of burlesque mockery of, of African-Americans. And so you have exaggerated accents and you have exaggerated dances. And often then the music that these groups were performing was intended to be um, fairly similar to slave music. And I think in some, there's a, it's an interesting mixture of mockery and the impression and also a real fascination with the music. And obviously African-American music is the bedrock of, of so much of American music, all of it really. Um, so you see that connection there. But because you have this mockery of a racial minority, I don't think there's really an equivalent, um, there's no equivalent venue or, or, or power dynamic to create a kind of white face um, mm-hmm. that would be similar. Yeah. Uh, it's also true that Canada's uh, racial demographics look really different, of course, than they do here in the United States. Um, but they, that also means that this, the tensions between different demographic groups look different. Uh, I, I guess one of the things that, that surprised me about this uh, was that it was uh, blackface, that it was about African-Americans or people of African descent. Um, When Canada has as rich a history, I suppose, oppressing Native peoples uh, and and some others, um, talk about how this narrative fits into that broader racial context in a country that doesn't look like this one. That's right. You know, and, and Canada does have a history with slavery. There were there were about uh, 200 years of slavery in Canada mm-hmm. um, before abolition. And then uh, after abolition, Canada became a destination on the Underground Railroad for people fleeing the United States. Um, I, something that you, it, it, you raise an interesting question, and obviously there are a lot of tensions involving indigenous peoples in Canada. Trudeau has made an effort to apologize to them for treatment in the past, um, including splitting families up. Um, theorists who talk about racism and who talk about these questions of blackface tend to connect these things together. And they argue that there's really a a connection between the way uh, Canada has tended to marginalize indigenous peoples, which is in many ways somewhat similar to the way the U.S. has dealt with Native Americans, and then the sort of racism that we, casual racism we see through things like blackface. Hmm. Okay. uh, David A. Graham, staff writer at The Atlantic. It was great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Up next, we're going to continue to look at the fallout from Justin Trudeau's brownface scandal. We're going to talk to a professor from the University of Windsor Law School who recently wrote a piece called uh, Trudeau's Blackface Apology Rings Hollow and Highlights Anti-Arab Stereotypes. We'll talk to him next about why he doesn't believe Trudeau is sorry about what he did. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada and the trouble he finds himself in after photos have surfaced of him in brownface and in blackface just just weeks, really, before uh, an election there in Canada, last-minute 
opposition surprise. Um, we want to talk now about his apology, his specific apology for these photos. He was very quick to come out and say that he was wrong for doing the things he did. Uh, Reem Body is an associate professor at the University of Windsor Law, and she recently wrote a, wrote a piece in the conversation titled, Trudeau's Blackface Apolo Apology Rings Hollow and Highlights Anti-Arab Stereotypes. I want to welcome Reem Body to the program. Nice to have you here. Nice yeah. to be with you. Uh, uh, before I, we, we jump into this, I want to I have us listen to what uh, Prime Minister Trudeau said when these photos surfaced. Uh, when I was a teacher out in Vancouver, I attended an end-of-year gala where the theme was Arabian Nights. And I uh, dressed up in an Aladdin costume and put makeup on. I shouldn't have done that. I should have known better, but I didn't. And I'm really sorry. Do you think you should resign this? Would you have asked, called for them to step down? I think uh, there are people who've made mistakes in, uh, in this life, and you make decisions based on what they actually uh, do, what they did, uh, and on a case-by-case -case basis. I think uh, I uh, deeply regret that, we, that I did that. Uh, I should have known better, uh, but I didn't. Okay, that was uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada explaining these photos of him uh, in brownface. Uh, Reem Body, you don't buy that apology. Tell me why. Well, I think the apology is inadequate for a couple of reasons. But, but first of all, I should say there were two apologies. Mm -hmm. And I think the clip you just played was from the first one. Yes. The second one was a little bit fuller in the sense that unlike the first, it acknowledged the, the hurtfulness of this kind of conduct. And the prime minister in the second apology said that he would continue to try to learn and to continue to do better. And those are important things that shouldn't be discounted. But still, the apologies uh, are inadequate to my mind. First of all, because they don't fully dis uh, appreciate or at least express how problematic these uh, behaviors were. And there were, as you've mentioned, a couple of uh, pictures, uh, three pictures and a video that have surfaced. We don't know how many in total there are out there. But the video in particular, um, I think when I watched it, was the most troubling part for me. It's a very short four-second video, no sound. It shows uh, our, our prime minister when he was younger. I don't, we don't know exactly how old he was. In close to 30, I think, is the understanding on that one. And he's, uh, he has blackface on, and he's... He's wearing a T-shirt with pictures of bananas on them. Mm. And he's raising his arms and he's making, he's opening his mouth in some sort of gesture that we can't hear. Mm. And some commentators have suggested that what he's doing there is he's uh, imitating uh, an ape. And of course, this connection between um, uh, people and, and animals is more than just um, something that's hurtful or insulting. It's absolutely dehumanizing. Hmm. 
And so I don't think the apology fully captures what it's, what's at stake in terms of what happened back then. But then more than that, it doesn't appreciate how um, the prime minister himself continues to use some stereotypes and tropes. Um, and the examples that I give are related to stereotypes that are that have, uh, are uh, quite common amongst um, w- in relation to the Arab community. Mm-hmm. And the one in particular that I highlighted in the conversation piece that you mentioned is that uh, Arabs are un-Canadian or that they're somehow disloyal to Canada. Yeah. Uh, a lot of your argument is about the, the, the broader context, and yeah. uh, I think it's important for our listeners to, to understand the relationship between uh, Arabs, uh, Arab Canadians, and Muslims mm-hmm. uh, in that country, and that that, that is a backdrop that's, uh, that's very important, but also different, perhaps, than, than what we are uh, accustomed to here in, in the United States. Can you talk some about that, uh, that demographic uh, tension? Uh, the demographic tension between Arabs uh, about uh, yeah w- w- between uh, white Canadians uh, and Arab Canadians and, and and Muslims right so our experiences our tensions are not as explicit in Canada as they are in the United States mm-hmm. where for example of course there were things like uh, the what's referred to as the Muslim ban. Uh, by President Trump. But we have had some uh, very harrowing incidents, uh, um, shootings of a mosque in Quebec where people, uh, while they were praying, were killed and uh, and seriously, very seriously injured. We've seen a rise of hate crimes uh, in Canada directed at uh, the Muslim and Arab communities, amongst other communities. Um, And one of the things that uh, I've tried to highlight in my research is that in addition to these explicitly hateful and and harmful acts, there's also a a lack, it seems, of political will and judicial will, because I look at case law as well, to actually name uh, stereotyping and Mm -hmm. racism against Arabs and Muslims in Canada and to offer some sort of remedy. So the problems are both uh, targeting and silence in in the face of these issues. Hmm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. What do you think of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's apology in Canada for these photos that have come out that show him in brown face and in black face? Uh, he has been very. Uh, quick and effusive, really, uh, in the way that he has apologized for these things. Do you buy it? Do you think uh, that that is sincere and a reason to forgive and move on? Or do you think that it maybe bespeaks a deeper problem because uh, this is something that has happened not once, but but several times with Justin Trudeau? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Anka in Royal Oak. Morning, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Uh, thank you for having me on here. Uh, speaking to your guest, I want to know uh, who are you going to vote for in the election, and what party do you support, and what do you think a good apology would look like? Also, um, I'm not Muslim. Uh, I'm actually with the Satanic Temple, but I respect everybody's rights and everybody's right to religion. I don't see what you're seeing 
I, throughout the national media in Canada, and I see uh, Trudeau as supportive of Muslim and Arab-speaking people. Hmm. We have a giant community of uh, Muslim and Arab-speaking people uh, in Canada. I don't see them voting for any other politician in the near future. Hmm. All right? uh, I don't know who their leadership is, but I want to know what kind of axe you have to grind, all uh, right? because it doesn't sound balanced. Okay. Anka, I really appreciate the call. Uh, and the perspective, uh, Professor Body, talk about who you will vote for in the Canadian elections, and uh, and whether this sense of Trudeau uh, um, not supporting uh, Arab and Muslim communities is is somehow uh, biased against him. Right. So we are in the middle of an election, as, you, as you've noted, and it's a very difficult one because when Trudeau and his liberals came into power, um, they replaced a conservative government that was um, more willing to target uh, racialized communities and in particular Muslim communities. And I have to say, I'm not Muslim. I am Arab, but I am not Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of the problem now for people is what are the alternatives? And so what I'm offering is not a strategy, it's not a prescription for how one votes. It's an analysis, and it's, a, it's hopefully raising some of the issues that we need to have conversations about. Um, and for me, there, you know, the ultimate question is not, is this as bad as it can get, but can we be doing better? Mm. Um, and certainly, when you compare Trudeau against some of the alternatives and against his predecessors and against some of the uh, developments more globally, um, he is a better alternative. But is that the best we can do mm. is the question. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, Anka, I really appreciate the call. And the question, let's go to Matthew in Fenton. Matthew, welcome to the program. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing very well. I just wanted to make a quick comment. I was noticing they were talking, you were mentioning, are we think of Canadians as being more progressive, Americans think of Canadians as being more progressive. And in my experience, it seems as if uh, that we oversimplify things. Uh, in my experiences, there are, in some ways, they're more progressive, but there are, uh, and in other ways, Americans are more progressive. And I find that uh, things like this take, I think, Americans by surprise because they don't realize it's a much more complicated uh, situation. And uh, so when they see this, they think, oh, no, uh, Trudeau was a, is a progressive. And another thing is, is that they, it's called the Liberal Party, mm-hmm. and I think they don't realize that lib- the Liberal Party is not the most progressive party in Canada. In fact, it's, it's, there's a couple other parties like the NDP and the Green Party that mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. far more progressive, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, they look at it and they think of the term liberal, and then they say, oh, well, he's a progressive. They feel so shocked that he could have this path where he was uh, performing in blackface and doing things like that. But uh, I think that there are there in many ways there's uh, this undertow of uh, this undertow of anti-progressivism sure. that exists in Canada, just like in any other nation. Yeah, Matthew, I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were. Sure, Matthew, I appreciate uh, the call uh, and that perspective, uh, Professor Body. Talk about <clears throat> what progressive means in in Canada and and how progressive a country. Uh, it, it really is, given that, uh, the, of course, it, you know, uh, there are 
diverse political views there, just like there are everywhere else. Right. So your caller is absolutely right. Uh, according to you know, at least some perspectives, the Liberal Party is not the most politically progressive. Uh, we also have other parties, the Green Party. So, I mean, it just really depends on what issue you're focusing on. The Green Party would uh, say that the Liberals are not uh, doing enough on the environment. There's also the New Democratic Party. Their issues might focus more say, on, on economic rights, and they're traditionally tied to the labor union, so uh, on labor rights. Um, the, the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party are the more established parties in Canada, and sometimes, indeed, they trade places uh, in terms of which party is the most progressive on a particular issue. Mm -hmm. um, like the United States, Canada is a big country, and there are... There are um, different ways in which people might experience living in this country. So in the province of Saskatchewan, we relatively recently uh, had a case where a young Indigenous man was killed um, by a white farmer, and this was called our Rodney King. Hmm. Um, and whereas... You know, and, and the divides between the white uh, uh, farming settler communities in that area and the indigenous people in that area tend to be quite stark. If you go to Toronto, it's uh, far more of a, a, a multicultural community. People get along uh, in terms of their cultures and their practices and um, so it really just depends. But of course, even within Toronto, there are experiences that uh, are, are problematic yeah. depending on who you are or where you are. So your caller's absolutely right. It's far more complicated mm -hmm. than progressive or not. Okay. Uh, Reem Body, Associate Professor at University of Windsor Law. It was great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. It's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll have an update on the Middle East, including a look at why many countries are now blaming Iran for a recent attack on a Saudi oil facility. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.